Father, we just can come to you and, and uh, look at another one of these difficult texts in Revelation, Lord, but uh, it's an enlightening text as we learn more about angels and what angels really do and who they really are. And uh, Lord, uh, most importantly, Lord, uh, we'll see today what it truly means to, to be uh, living uh, as abiding on the vine of Jesus Christ versus abiding on the vine of this earth. And uh, Lord, there's an important lesson here and a lesson for all of us. We need to take inventory of where we're at. We're living in very dangerous times, Lord, and uh, it's, it's people are crying out, peace, peace, when there is no peace, and Lord, I just uh, uh, ask that you make us all uh, take inventory of where we're at, make sure that we're abiding in Christ and not abiding in this world. Lord, there's a clear lesson here for all of us today as we Look at these angels at work in chapter 14 of Revelation. And Lord, we thank you most of all for the angel of the Lord, another, another than Jesus Christ, our Savior, and for all he's done for us on the cross. And uh, Lord, for your Holy Spirit and his blood and that make it uh, all possible for us to be part of your kingdom. And that's where we want to be, Lord. So uh, just, just help us look at this very important lesson today. And uh, we ask for... Your God, it's by your Holy Spirit. We ask that in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, in chapters 14 and 15, I, I think they're especially interesting chapters because we get a look at angels at work. And whenever we study these fascinating creatures in the Bible, I think it's a really good thing because there are a lot of misconceptions out there about who angels are and what they do. And you can blame the movies for some of that. I, I know one of my favorite movies is It's a Wonderful Life. And one of my favorite characters in that movie is the angel Clarence who's trying to earn his wings. And uh, you get this picture of a man who's died. He's gone to heaven. He's been made an angel and he's trying to earn his wings. And that's kind of the picture a lot of people have of what angels are. Reminds me of a couple of guys where one of them was bragging about his wife. And he says, uh, my wife's an angel. And the other guy said, well, you're lucky. My wife's still alive. You have to think about that one a minute. And there are a lot of people who, who believe that their wives are angels. Now, I believe that too. But there are a lot of people who believe that when we die, we go to heaven and we become angels. And they're wrong about that. Angels are not people who have died and gone to heaven. Angels are creations of God who were probably created before we were created. And so they've been around a long, long time. And I don't know God's making any new ones. And so the angels that he created originally are the angels that are there. And there's good angels and there are bad angels. That's who they are. Another misconception that we have about angels has to do with, uh, and, uh, with, with what they do. I mean, what do angels actually do? Well, I, I think we're right in believing and knowing that angels minister to us. They take care of the humans on this earth. And they especially watch over children. They especially watch over the saints. But there are evil angels who are out to destroy the saints. And here's what we're going to see today that's really interesting. We're going to see good angels who are out to destroy mankind in the end days, the wicked people who are left on this earth. And so we, we, uh, uh, we're going we're gonna to see angels at work in a different way than 
I think we, we conceive them as, as doing their work. Uh, in chapters 14 and 15, we see them doing a variety of things. Uh, remember in last week's lesson, we saw an angel in the sky, and he was giving out the gospel. And then today we're going to see an angel who announces the fall of Mystery Babylon. And then he's going to be followed by an angel who gives a severe warning about the dangers of taking the mark of the beast. And then there's going to be another angel who's going to come out of the temple and he's going to announce the final judgment that's coming upon this earth or coming upon the mankind, men and women of this earth. And then there's going to be an angel that we're going to see who takes his sickle and he judges the earth. And we're going to see this angel who has control of fire. And then when we get to chapter 15, we're going to see seven more angels who are ministering, administering the last seven plagues on this earth before Jesus returns. And so we see some busy, busy angels in chapters 14 and 15, and they're doing some really, really scary things. So, so let's pick up in chapter 14, and let's begin in verse number 8. Chapter 14, verse number 8. And we get this announcement of the fall of Mystery Babylon. Now, this is really a mystery. And it's really an interesting mystery that we see in the Bible, and we'll see it again in chapter 17. But listen to the announcement in verse number 8. And another angel followed, saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, the great city, because she has made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. Now, this is the same mystery Babylon that we'll, we'll see in chapter number 17. So I'm not going to go into a lot of detail or into a detailed study of Mystery Babylon today. We'll save that for chapter number 17. But I do want to whet your appetite a little bit. So I'm going to tell you a couple of things about Mystery Babylon that you need to know uh, in context of what we're studying today. The first thing is this. The first thing is that she appears again in chapter 17. Now what does that tell you? If we see her here in 14 and then we see her again in chapter 17, are these two different events or are they the same event? The fall of Babylon is the same event. So that tells me that, again, we see it over and over again, that everything given to us in the book of Revelation is not given to us in chronological order. And what I believe we get in chapter 14, if you read the entire chapter, we'll just look at the last half of the chapter today, but if you read the entire chapter 14, what you're getting, getting here is an overview of the last three and a half years of the Great Tribulation. After the two witnesses are killed, the, the Antichrist comes into the temple, he declares himself to be God, and then these are the events that happen. And one of the events that happens is the fall of Mystery Babylon. The other thing I just want to just talk about briefly today is the identity of Mystery Babylon. Just who is Mystery Babylon? And that's the, the theologians have argued as to who her, her identity is for centuries. And so uh, I don't know if we can come to a, uh, an exact conclusion as, as to who she is, but I think we can get a pretty good eye, idea of who Mystery Babylon is by the time we get through chapter number 17. But let me just give you the possibilities here today, and then we'll explore that in more detail later on. The first of all, the first uh, answer given as to the identity of Mystery Babylon is that 
she is the literal Babylon, the city Babylon that lies in present-day Iraq today. And there's a lot of people who adhere to this interpretation because they want to interpret the Bible literally, and I understand that. But when I'm told that it's mystery Babylon, then more than likely it's not the literal Babylon. It's a mystery. We don't really know who it is until we look at all the clues and, and we see the events transpire, and then we can figure out maybe who she is. But I don't believe it's literal Babylon at all. Now, Chuck Smith adhered to the, to the uh, belief that Chuck Smith, who founded Calvary Chapel, uh, he held to the view that in the last days that Babylon would be rebuilt and that, that city, from that city the Antichrist would rule the world. And he's talking about the literal Babylon in Iraq. And with the rise of Islam right now, that does seem to be a possibility. But when we read in chapter 17 the clues about mystery Babylon, Babylon in Iraq doesn't fit at all. Uh, she sits on many waters. There's just a lot of things. There's seven hills. There's no hills in, in, in literal Babylon in Iraq today. And I'll tell you what, if, it's, if it is in Babylon in Iraq, they'd better get busy building it pretty quick because for it to be the city where the Antichrist is going to rule, it's going to have to be a great city, and it's nothing but ruins now and lying in a desert. So they're going to have to get busy with it quick. And I, So I don't think it's literal Babylon at all. Some other scholars believe that mystery Babylon is none other than Jerusalem. Uh, but it doesn't fit either. I mean, if you've ever been to Jerusalem, you know it doesn't sit on many waters. There's no water anywhere to be found, anywhere near Jerusalem. And so, I mean, you've got to go a few miles to get to the Mediterranean. And so it's a very dry place. And it, and it doesn't, there, you could say there are seven hills there, but there's just a lot of things wrong with uh, picking Jerusalem as Mystery Babylon. Let me tell you the main reason I rule out Mystery Babylon is that Jerusalem is not destroyed in the Great Tribulation, and Mystery Babylon is. And so I rule, rule Jerusalem out uh, totally. Now, here's where it gets kind of scary and kind of hits home. There are many scholars who believe that it is a city in the United States of America. There are people who believe that it's possibly Los Angeles, but more than likely New York City. And that's certainly a possibility because Mystery Babylon is shown to us or described for us as a harlot or an adulterer. In other words, some, uh, it's a city who was given much by God and then they turned, back on their, uh, turned their back on God and they chased after these false religions and idols. And I got to believe, I mean, I got, to me, the shoe fits New York City. So New York City is certainly a possibility uh, because we certainly, in the United States of America, have been given so much by God, and then we have turned our backs on God, and we have chased after idols and gone into all sorts of idolatry. And so the shoe fits for it, for it to be a city in America. I don't think that's who it is, though. Uh, the last possibility is that Mystery Babylon is Rome. And I believe that is a strong possibility. It makes sense because we know, and we've proved this in prior texts, that, that uh, the revived Roman Empire will be the empire that rules the world. It will be the empire of the Antichrist during the Great Tribulation. And it sits on seven hills and it sits on many waters. And so I believe that Rome is a strong possibility. Although I do 
not rule out the possibility of it being a city in the United States of America. All right, now that's all we want to look at as far as uh, Mystery Babylon today. I mean, the other thing, I mean, you look at the last part of this verse, look at what she's done. She says, because she has made all the nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. In other words, she's brought the wrath of God on all the nations because she has uh, uh, spread her fornication throughout the world. Now, that certainly fits the United States of America because we're the number one exporter of pornography, all sorts of evil things that we export to the world, and so it very well might be a city in the United States. Some people believe it's Hollywood, Los Angeles, because of the fact that, uh, you know, it fits the last part of that sentence. She has made all the nations drink the wine of the wrath of her fornication. Well, we'll, we'll talk about that later on when we get to 17. So just hold that thought, and then let's go to the, let's go to the next verse now as we see uh, these, this angel giving this dire warning about taking the mark of the beast. And this is a very important passage. I want you to look at this really careful as I go through this. Verse number 9. Then a third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast in his image and receives his mark on his forehead or on his hand, now watch this in verse number 10, he himself shall also drink of the wine of the wrath of God. Now this is kind of scary right here. Look at this. Which is poured out full strength. Can you imagine the full strength of the wrath of God into the cup of his indignation. And that person who takes the mark shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and the presence of the Lamb. And watch verse number 11. If you don't believe in hell, I want you to look at verse number 11 and tell me how you can deny that the Bible teaches that there is a hell. In verse number 11, and the smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever. How long is that? Forever. And they have no rest day and night. For how long? Forever and ever. Those who worship the beast and his image and whoever receives the mark of his name. Now, you know what? I don't think there's a more severe warning or a clearer description of hell than what you get right here in this little passage. First, look at the warning. You take the mark of the beast and your toast. It's over. In other words, don't worry about what the Antichrist is going to do to you if you don't take his mark. You better worry about what God's going to do to you if you do take his mark. Now, I've got news for you. I'm not going to be here to worry about that. I'm going to be out of here when that time comes. So this is really written for those of you who are going to be here after the rapture. So if you're here and you see, you know, I'm taken out of here and most of y'all are taken out of here, a couple of you are left here, then you might want to come back and read this passage and when, that, when, when it comes time to take that mark, it's going to be a difficult decision because you're going to starve if you don't take it. You're not going to be able to buy or sell. You're not going to be able to, you're not going to, be able to, to, uh, to, to do anything. You're not going to be able to engage in commerce. And so you don't want to take that mark. If you, I mean, you're going to want to take that mark, but you don't want to take that mark because if you do take that mark, you're going to be facing torment in hell forever 
and ever and ever. Your fate is set. Look at that. Look at what he says. I mean, you get the, look at what he says right here. For he himself will also drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out in full strength. That means without mercy, without love, without any hope. I mean, you're going to be in for, forever, in the, live forever in the darkness of hell. And look at this hell that he presents right here. It's a place of eternal torment with fire and brimstone in the presence of the Lamb and his holy angels. Now, that doesn't mean that God's going to sit there and he's going to gloat over the fact you're in hell. The Bible is clear that he wishes that none should perish, that all should come to eternal life. But God is going to be vindicated by punishing the wicked, those who have rejected Jesus Christ. And he is going to, he's not going to enjoy the fact that you're in hell, but God is omnipresent, and so in some sense, he has a position in hell, in, in keeping hell going. I mean, it's God who will keep hell going. And so it will be in the presence of God and his holy angels that you will suffer this torment forever and ever if you take the mark of the beast uh, or if you, put it another way, if you reject Jesus Christ. And look at what else he says. He says there's no rest day or night forever. I mean, can you imagine you're in hell and you're in hell for a thousand years, and you're, you're suffering from this, this heat, and you're suffering from this darkness, and there's no rest. I mean, you can't say, well, man, i got to sleep this off for a couple of years, a couple of hundred years. No, you get no rest forever and ever and ever and ever. And because it's the full wrath of God, that means your fate is set, and you're not going to be able to buy your way out of there. Your relatives aren't going to be able to buy your way out of there. Your fate is set forever if you take that mark and you will suffer in hell forever. Well, pastor, I don't believe that a loving God would do that to anyone. Let me tell you, let me give you an answer to your question there or to your response. It doesn't matter what you believe. What matters is, it does matter what you believe about Jesus Christ, but it doesn't matter what you believe about hell. You don't make it go away by not believing in it. it is hell is clearly a place that is described for us in the Bible. It is the, the eternal abode of the devil and his demons and the Antichrist and the wicked of this world. And it doesn't matter whether you believe it or not. And that's why the relativists are digging their way, uh, digging them a pit all the way into hell by, by cherry-picking what they want to believe and denying the truth of God. You can't do that. You can't go through this Bible and, and throw out what you don't like and believe what you like. you got to believe it all. If you believe the good stuff, you got to believe the bad stuff because in the end, the bad stuff is the good stuff. It's all good. All things work together for the good. Now, it won't be good for you if you die wicked and, and, and without Christ and you spend eternity in hell, that's going to be a terrible place. But it is a real place. It's a place where God exacts justice. The justice for rejecting the death of God on the cross. Now, here's where it gets a little bit personal. I don't believe you have to wait till the Great Tribulation to take the mark of the beast. I believe you can take the mark of the beast now. 
I think there are a lot of people who are taking the mark of the beast now. If you continually reject Christ and you reject the only road to Christ, which is the word of God, you come to Christ through the word. Faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of God. And you reject this word and you scorn this word and you scoff at this word and you choose to believe what you want to believe. You can call yourself a Christian, but in reality, you have taken the mark of the beast and you are worshiping the beast and you will be judged. You know, I, I don't know if you saw it on the news this week, but California is in the process of passing a law that bans any book that says anything negative about sodomy or homosexuality or adultery or some of the sexual sins. Any of those books that pronounce judgment on people are going to be banned. Now, they don't name the Bible, and they might not go after the Bible immediately. They might have some problems in the federal courts doing that. They'd have to get all the way to the Supreme Court before they'd have a problem out in California. But, but that's where the world is heading if we don't see a revival and we don't see a change in this world. And, and when you go along with that and you don't stand up against that, then it's the same thing as taking the mark of the beast. Because if you ban the word and there's no word of God, then the only thing left for you there's no faith because faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of God. There's nothing left for you but to worship the beast. Now, you don't, nobody's going to literally, not many people anywhere, are going to literally fall down and worship the devil. But when you deny Christ and you scorn the things of Christ and you scorn his word, you are worshiping the beast. And I've got to tell you, I look at this passage right here and as a believer, let me tell you what it convicts me to do. It convicts me to get busy about doing the things of God. Well, I still have time. It convicts me to pray for those lost people around me that are going to end up in this terrible place called hell if they don't change. And if God doesn't get somehow get them to change. And whatever it takes, I mean, if they have to get cancer, if, they have to, if we have to see this economy collapse in the United States, whatever it takes, Lord, to get these people's attention so they don't end up in this terrible place, Lord, get their attention. And so it makes me get serious about, you know, sharing this word, serious about praying for the lost. Then in verse number 12, it says, here is the patience. He's talking again in the context of the tribulation here. Here's the perseverance of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments and the faith of Jesus. Why do they persevere? Why are the people? Why are the tribulation saints going to persevere uh, uh, during the great tribulation? Let me tell you why they're going to persevere. Because they haven't taken the mark. They have been marked by who? They've been marked by God. Just as the hundred forty-four thousand were marked with the name Jehovah on their foreheads, the the saints of God have been marked by God. When you were when you received Christ in your heart, you were marked by God. You were sealed with the Holy Spirit. And you, the reason you're going to persevere, I mean, let's say we, we don't get raptured and we stay here. Every single person in here has been sealed by the Holy Spirit. You've been chosen in him before the foundation of the world. You're going to make it to the end. 
You've been sealed with the Spirit of God, and you won't take the mark of the beast. Not because you're better than other people, but because you have the Spirit of God in you, and you know better than to take that mark. Your, your spirit won't allow you to take that mark. You would rather die than take that mark. You're going to be raptured out of here, but then those people who are saved, they're going to be per, saved in the Great Tribulation. They're going to persevere to the end because they've been given the mark of the Holy Spirit. And so they have the faith, the faith that, give, that in Christ that allows them to receive the Holy Spirit. And because they have the Holy Spirit, they keep the commandments and they stay true to Jesus Christ. And that's the test of any saint. I mean, you want to know if you're really a saint? Let God turn up the heat a little bit. And you know what I usually figure out? I usually begin to think, and I'm not a saint. And then after that trial is, is in the midst of that trial, at some point before God finally cuts off the heat, I realize, hey, I am going to persevere through this. I am going to make it through this. Not because I'm a strong person, but because the spirit in me is strong. All right, now let's go to verse number 13. In verse number 13, we, we, we hear this voice coming from heaven. He says, then I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, write, blessed, now watch this, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their works follow them. You know what that word blessed means? It means, oh, how happy. Oh, how happy are the dead. Now, you won't hear that at funerals very often. Oh, how happy are the dead. We look at somebody, and they're, up in, they're in that casket or whatever they're, they're in. I, I was at a funeral a while back, and the guy was in a, in, in, a, in a vase. They put him in a vase. He'd been cremated. He was in a vase. And I, don't, and I think if I'd shouted out, oh, how happy is so-and-so, I don't think people would have received that that day. Uh, normally, when we see somebody dead, the last thing, we think about is their happiness. I mean, you know, we think of man, they're in that, that coffin, they're, you know, they just don't look very happy. Now, they try to make them look happy, but they don't look that happy. But the, for those of us who are truly in Christ, that's exactly what's in store for us. From now on, when we die, you know, I have used this passage in funerals. I mean, the immediate context of this passage uh, is about the mark of the beast. I mean, you take the mark, you don't take the mark, then you get killed, uh, but blessed are the dead. But I've used this in funerals because, because it's a truth that, that goes past the immediate context of what we see in verse number 13. It's, it's a truth for all of us. I mean, from now on, after we die, we rest from our labors. And we're happy from then on. I mean, we don't understand happiness until we are in the presence of Jesus Christ. When one day when we're in the presence of Jesus Christ, we're going to know what it truly is to be happy. I mean, we talk about, you know, don't look for happiness in this life so much, look for joy, but I look for happiness. I mean, because joy and happiness, I think, kind of go together. I mean, if I have joy, then I have happiness. And, and, and there's times when this world beats you up so much, it's hard to find joy. It's far, hard to find happiness. But once we die, we're blessed. Oh, how happy are we from, from now on. Then in verse number 14, he says, Then I looked, and behold, a white cloud. And on the cloud sat one like the Son of Man. Who is that? Jesus Christ. Having on his head a golden crown, and in his hand a sharp sickle. Now we're going to see the greatest angel of all. We're going to see the angel of the Lord. 
one like the Son of Man, none other than Jesus Christ, Almighty God. And don't, don't take this picture wrong. Jesus, this isn't a picture of Jesus Christ hanging out on a cloud, uh, chilling, holding a sickle. That the word cloud there is that word we've seen over and over again in Revelation. It's the word lucas, which means light more than it means cloud. And so it's this cloud of light. It's the Shekinah glory of God. And so the picture that we have right here is Jesus Christ in his Shekinah glory. And look what he's holding in his hand. He's holding a very sharp sickle. Now in that culture, when they sharpened their sickles, they sharpened them like, they became like razor blades. And so when they cut through those crops, they got no resistance at all. And that's the picture that we're being given here. When Christ judges this world, he's going to judge it without any resistance at all. He, when, when he makes that decision to, to, to judge the wicked, then, then there's not going to be any means of mankind resisting that judgment. Also, if you look on his head, he's got a golden crown. Again, we've seen that before. And that's, that represents his divinity, his divine right to judge this world. Remember what Jesus said over in John chapter 5, verse 22. He said, for the Father judges no one, but has committed all judgment. How much judgment? All judgment to the Son. So he's going to be in charge of the Bema Seat judgment. That's where you and I are going to appear. And we're going to be rewarded for the, the good things that we did while we were on this earth, the things that counted. The rest of it's going to be burned up and, and uh and even if everything you have burned up, at least you'll be saved, we're told uh, by Paul. But then he's also going to be at the great white throne judgment. And he's going to judge the wicked and he's going to determine the ones who are going to be sent to eternal hell. But in the meantime, he is going to judge this earth. He's going to judge the wicked on this earth. I believe he judges the wicked on this earth now. But in, in a more extreme way when we come to the great tribulation. Now we see another angel at work. Look at, look at verse number 15. It says, And another angel came up out of the temple, crying with a loud voice to him who had sat on the cloud. And that's none other than Jesus Christ. He, he, this angel speaks to him, and he says, Thrust your sickle and reap, for the time has come for you to reap. And I think we're heading now into a picture of Armageddon when Jesus comes and he makes that final gleaning of the wicked at the battle of Armageddon. He says, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. So he who sat on the cloud thrust his sickle into the earth, and the earth was reaped. Now, you see that word ripe right there. That Greek word for ripe is better translated overripe. What, what word would we use for overripe? Rotten. How many of you like rotten fruit? I hate rotten fruit. I don't want anything to do with rotten fruit. Well, that's the way Jesus sees the wicked of this world. And at this point, the whole, all the people left on this earth are rotten. I mean, they're rotten to the core. I mean, the remnant of Israel, he's got hidden away and he's got them protected. The church has been raptured to heaven. The tribulation saints have been killed by the Antichrist. And so at this point, at this final judgment, there's nothing left but the rotten of the rottenness on this earth and they're going to be judged. And now we see more angels at work in verses 17 and 18. Then another angel came out of the temple, which is in heaven, he also having a sharp sickle. And another angel came out from the altar who had, now watch, note this right here, he had power over 
fire. And that's the fires of judgment. There was a, there's an angel here now. You know, you think of these benign, kind, wonderful, loving angels. And here is this angel who has, with a sickle, and here's this angel who has power over the fires that are going to judge this earth. And he cried out with a loud voice to him who had the sharp sickle, to the Lord. He says, thrust in your sharp sickle and gather the clusters of the vine of the earth. Now note that. The vine of the earth for her grapes are fully ripe. They're rotten. So thrust your sickle into the vine of the earth. So here you got two angels. Uh, both of them at work in this final judgment. And we're going to get more detail of this final judgment when we get to chapter 15. I know you're looking forward to that. Uh, I can tell by your faces you're really enjoying all this judgment today. So uh, when we get to chapter 15, we'll get some more of that. Uh, but anyway, uh, they're... There, we'll get the details of what's happening here. Uh, but what we're getting right now is a summary of the last three and a half years of the Great Tribulation where God pours out his wrath on mankind and it culminates with the final judgment which, which we know to be the Battle of Armageddon. All right, now go to verse number 19. You guys wanted revelation, remember that? <laughs> this is why... This is why I don't like preaching through Revelation. I'm going to love it when we get to chapter 19. But right now, it is some difficult stuff to swallow. It's almost, it, it's mundane. It's almost like God is, oh, wow, oh, wow. I know you're probably thinking, I'm sounding like that. But it's like over and over again, you get these judgments. And they're terrible. And you get this picture of hell, and it's terrible. I mean, but it's part of the Bible. And, and, and just as much as there's a heaven, there's a hell. And just as much as there's grace and there's salvation, there's judgment. And as terrible as all of this is, I mean, it's a reality that's coming to this earth soon. And that's why this next verse is so important. I want you to look at this. So the angel thrust the sickle into the earth and gathered the vine of the earth. And he threw it into the wine press. Now watch this. It's not, this isn't gathering up the saints. This is gathering up the wicked because the wine press is the wrath of God. It's the wine press of the wrath of God. Now here's where I want to pause for a minute and, and, and talk about this vine of the earth. There are two vines growing on this earth right now as we speak. There's the vine of the kingdom of God. That vine is rooted in none other than who? In Jesus Christ. Remember what Jesus said over in John chapter 15. He said, I am the true vine. A branch cannot bear fruit without lest that branch abides in me. So the true vine is made up of those believers who truly abide in Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to think about that a minute. What's the word abide mean? What's it, what's, what's it mean to abide? It means you live. You, you live your whole life. That's what it means to abide. I mean, for 25 years, Nathan abided in my house, abode in my house. I don't know how you 
which one that is, but, but he was there. He lived there. He was with me almost every single day. He was with his mother almost every single day. We were with him almost every single day. He lived under our rules. Uh, uh, he, we provided for him. We sheltered him. We protected him. We spanked him. No, we never had to spank him, Nathan. But, but that's what it means to abide. So if I abide in Jesus Christ, then that means I live every moment of every day with him. Now, there's times when I, my mind's off on something else. But as soon as I'm done with that task, I'm back abiding with him. I live my whole life in his presence. He protects me. He guides me. He directs me. And he spanks me. I mean, and, and, and let me tell you something. You know if you're truly abiding in Christ. There are a lot of people who call themselves Christians who do not abide in Jesus Christ. And I worry about those people. I mean, you're either in Christ or you're out of Christ. You're either abiding in Christ or you're abiding in this world. And there are so many people who call themselves Christians who are planted on the vine of this earth. Now, you and I were planted on the vine of this earth, but we were grafted in to the vine of heaven. And that's where we abide now. We were grafted in when we received the Spirit of God and we get that fruit. We, we plant ourselves by these living waters and we get that fruit. Uh, we get those juices or those nutrients that let us bear fruit. And we're nothing more than a branch that bears fruit. But we abide in Jesus Christ. Now, the vine of this earth, you don't bear fruit. You bear, if you're living on the vine of this earth or you're abiding on the vine of this earth, you're bearing thorns and you're bearing thistles. And the vine of this earth represents this present world system. In the Greek, we call that, or the Greek word for that is the cosmos. There are a lot of people who call themselves Christians, and this is critical here, who are, are abiding in the cosmos, in this world system. And this world system is antichrist. And when the antichrist comes and he sets up his kingdom and he says, you've got to take the mark in order to buy or sell in my kingdom, they're going to take the mark because it's not, his kingdom's not going to be much different from the kingdom they're living in right now. I really believe that the kingdom of the Antichrist will have a one-world religion that is a Christian one-world religion. Now, it will incorporate the Muslim religion and the Hindu faith and some of the others because it's universalistic. But it will, the center, at the center of it will be Christianity or so-called Christianity. And so it's going to be real easy to get deceived. But you can't deceive yourself if you're honest with yourself. You're either abiding in Christ or you're abiding in this world. And if you, make a, if you keep making that choice, it's the same thing as taking the mark, the mark of the beast. Jesus talks about these judgments and and. and so if there's two vines, there's going to be two reapings. 
One's going to be the reaping of the church. Where's that, when does that take place? At the rapture. And there will be other saints, tribulation saints, who will be martyred and they will be reaped too. But the other reaping is the reaping of the wicked. And Jesus describes that for us over in a parable. Go with me over to, uh, he kind of sums it all up. So it's a good little parable to look at. It actually is an interpretation of a parable. But if you go over to Matthew chapter 13, and look down at verse number 37, Matthew 13, chapter 13. These are the kingdom parables. It's all about the kingdom. But, he's, but in chapter thir- this part of chapter 13, he interprets the parable about the judgment of those who are not part of the kingdom. And so I'm looking at Matthew 13, beginning in thir- 37. It says, He answered and said to them, He who sows the good seed is the Son of Man. Now the good seed is the vine of the great I Am. It's the vine of Jesus Christ. It's the kingdom of God. And the field is the world. And the good seed are the sons of the kingdom. See, it's the kingdom of God. So if if you're part of that vine, if you've been transplanted into that vine, then you're part of the kingdom of God and you're sons and daughters of the kingdom. But the tares, the tares that are sown are the vine of the earth. And they're the sons of the wicked one. The enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age. And that's exactly what we're looking at in Revelation chapter 14. And the reapers are the angels. Therefore, as the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. So that's exactly what we're looking right here. Remember that angel I I told you to mark down in your minds in Revelation chapter 14, verse 18, who had control over the fire? Uh, uh, And it will be at the end of the age. All right, so... Uh, Then in verse number 41, the Son of Man will send out his angels and they will gather out of his kingdom all things that offend and those who practice lawlessness. Listen to me very carefully. You can call yourself a Christian all you want, but if you practice lawlessness and not righteousness, you are not saved. You're not saved. I don't care what you call yourselves. I mean, what's it mean to practice lawlessness? What, I mean, what's, what's lawlessness? Well, Paul gives us a description. Hold your place here. Hold your place in Revelation 15 and flip over to, to uh, 1 Corinthians. And look in 1 Corinthians chapter number 6. Look at verse number 9. And listen to what he says there. We're in chapter number 6, verse number 9. He says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Everybody got that? Now, what do they inherit? If they don't inherit the kingdom of God, they inherit what the vine of this earth inherits. They inherit judgment, and they inherit hell. Do not be deceived. Listen to this carefully. Neither fornicators, 
nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And if you're practicing those things, any of those things, you're still living on the vine of this earth. You're not part of the vine of the kingdom of God. And you will be judged. Now, before we point a finger, I like what Paul says in the next part of this verse. He says, and such were some of you. In fact, such were most of you. I mean, somewhere in that list of things, and we could add to that list gossip and covetousness. I think covetousness is on there, isn't it? Yeah. How many of you haven't been covetous at one point in your life? Or the other. And I think that sometimes I think some people, believers can fall into these types of things even now. But if you practice these things, if you accept these things as okay, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. And at some point, if you keep doing this, you're taking the mark of the beast. And if you take the mark of the beast, there's no return from that. You blaspheme the Holy Spirit and you... you You've set your fate in hell forever. I personally, I, I think, you know, you almost have to die to do that, to come to that point. But I've seen people, man, it's almost like you pray for them and God says, don't pray for them. You're wasting your time praying for them. They've made their, they've heard the gospel, they've rejected the gospel, they've heard the gospel, they've rejected the gospel. They're gone. They're toast. Man, I wouldn't want to have that mark on me and then let's go back and finish this parable here in, in Matthew 13 he says the son I'm going to go back and read that verse again the son of man will send out his angels and they will gather out of his kingdom all things that offend and those who practice lawlessness they're going to be judged and will cast them into the furnace of fire they're, but they don't just die because there will be wailing and gnashing of teeth and there will be no rest day and night forever. Then the righteous, those who are on the vine of God, will shine forth as the sun of, in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. And then, the final verse we'll look at today, verse number 20, it zooms in, I believe, on Armageddon here in the very last verse, and he says here, get there. He says here in verse number 20, he says, and the winepress was trampled outside the city. What city is he talking about there? The city of Jerusalem. So we know what takes place here takes place outside the city of Jerusalem, and I believe this is a reference to the, Arm, uh, the Battle of Armageddon. And you can read about this over in Isaiah. In fact, you have to look in your margins to find the, the, uh, re the related passage, but uh, there is the, Isaiah describes the same event too. And he says, And the blood came out of the winepress, look at this, up to the horse's bridles. That's about five and a half feet high. For 1,600 furlongs. That is about 200 miles. So there's going to be so many people 
killed in the Battle of Armageddon, that there's going to be a river of blood. We don't know how wide it is, but it's going to be five and a half feet tall, 200 miles long. That is a lot of dead people. But it's going to happen. It's going to happen when Christ returns. Now, here's something I want you to see as we wrap this thing up. Do you see the difference? Do you see the difference between those people or who, to those who are doing God's work in the Great Tribulation and those who are doing God's work now? If you look at chapters 14 and 15, Who's doing most of the work? Really all of the work. The angels. The angels. Now, in our present dispensation, who's doing most of the work? Who's sharing the gospel now? Whose responsibility is it to share the gospel? The church. Whose responsibility is it to warn the world of the wrath to come? It's the church. And the angels function right now is to minister to those who are doing the work of the kingdom of God, to minister to the church. But when the, you look at this picture of the great tribulation, you don't see the church at work anymore. You see the angels giving out the gospel. You see the angels warning the world not to take the mark of the beast. You see the angels warning the world of the wrath to come. You see the angels actually administering the wrath to come. So where is the church? Where is the church? Gone. We're gone. You know, whenever you get into a passage like this where the devil wants to drag you away and drag your attention away. But you can bank on it. The, the devil wants to distract you because let me tell you what's at stake here in this passage that we're looking at today. Your eternal soul is at stake in this passage. And that's why I take this so seriously. I mean, it'd be real easy for me to, to skip Revelation chapter 14 and 15 and 16 and talk a little bit about 17 and then get go over to 19 and pick it up from there and everybody feel good but and I want everybody to feel good but the only way you're going to feel good in this world the only way you're going to overcome this world is to make sure that you've planted yourself in Jesus Christ that you're abiding in Jesus Christ and and there's no in between there and the good news is that this is evidence. What we're looking at right here, all these angels at work tells me that the church is gone. So that tells me when all of this begins, I'm going to be out of here. I know I'm going to be out of here. But I worry about some people, are you going to really be out of here? And hopefully one day, if you're left here, these words are going to stick in your cross somewhere and it's going to, you're going you're gonna to become one of the tribulation saints, and good luck with that. 
Because it's going to be a terrible place to be, a terrible time, and you're going to suffer greatly. So get right with the Lord now. And that's the message. And, and, and we're not going to be involved in all of this judgment stuff. It's the angels who are going to take care of all of this. And what, what, what about the tribulation saints? Well, let me tell you about the tribulation saints. They're going to do, be doing everything they can just to survive for as long as they can. They're not going to have any witness. There's going to be, they're going to be few and they're going to be few and far between, and and all they're going to be able to be all they're going to be able to do is try to survive. We have that opportunity now to be a witness. Now. This should scare us all to some degree. And we should all make certain where we're at with the Lord. What vine are we growing on? Look, if you're growing on the vine of this earth, let me tell you what, it's real easy to figure out. You get all your counsel. We, we, we saw this Wednesday night when we looked at Psalms chapter number one. Go back and you can read that later on. But where do you seek your counsel? You seek it from the world. Uh, you put the world system above the system of the kingdom of God. Uh, the wicked, they're walking on the pathway of wickedness, on the pathway of evil. The wicked scorn the things of God. And they have come to a point in their life, and here's really the tester. They will not have this man rule over them. They reject Jesus Christ. They might believe in Jesus Christ. They might believe in the cross. But they reject Jesus Christ as their king. And that's really the tester. Is he your king? If he's your king and you've been born again by the Spirit of God, then, hey, you can rest in the fact that you're not going to be here when the great tribulation begins. And you know also, just as easily as a person knows they're on the vine of this earth, you know if you're on the true vine, if you've been grafted into Jesus Christ. Because, back to that psalm we looked at Wednesday night, people who are truly born again delight in the word of God. They plant themselves by living waters. I mean, we drink not so much of this world. We drink of the spirit, spiritual things. We drink of the Spirit of God. We drink of His Word. And that we feed on His Word. And if you have no interest in the Word, and you have no interest in, the, in drinking of the spiritual things of Christ, then you're more than likely not born again. You know... I just, I just think there's a world of people out there, especially in the United States of America, who are pretenders, who are pretending to be Christians when they're not. And, you know, I'm preaching to the choir. Most of y'all truly are born again. But make it a matter 
of utmost importance to determine whether you're part of that vine of heaven or whether you're part of the vine of this earth. And if you're part of the vine of this earth, you need to receive Christ. You need to make him king, Lord of your life. And if that happens, hey, you can read chapter 15 and just kind of feel sorry for the people that are going to go through all of that, but you're not going to go through it. God's got good plans for every person in this room he truly knows him. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your your word, and it's a tough word, Lord. We're in a tough area of scripture, and uh, it's real easy to, to, to just skip over these passages, Lord, and, and uh, write them off as not having application to our life, but they do. Lord, even if, if we're born again, they should, they should cause us to get very, very serious about the time in which we live. Lord, we've got people all around us that are dying, and they're going to go to hell if they don't receive Christ. Lord, help us to take that seriously. Father, if there's anyone in this room, Lord, that, that's living in this world and living for this world and walking in wicked ways and practicing unrighteousness, Lord, I ask that you make today be the day of their salvation. Lord, that they repent of their evil ways, Lord, that they come to a point where they fear you. Fear you enough, Lord. Put fear in their hearts to where they want to change and repent and be saved and live righteously in a loving relationship with a loving God. Father, I just ask that you, you touch all of our hearts and convict us of where we're at and help us to be the kind of people you would have us to be because, Lord, we're living in, people don't, might not see it, but we're, we're living in very, very dark times. Lord, help us by the power of your spirit to be the people you want us to be. We ask that in Christ's name.